0: Biggest step for success, and in the marriage, is communication is key. But being intentional is everything. Intentional on 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 showing Manna her the way that she received love. I know we have read the book, The Five Love Languages, and Manna's top two love languages is is uh, physical touch and also words. words of affirmation. And those two things are 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 critical. We the oh yeah, we started the notebook thing too. And the notebook thing, what we were talking about, is that every single night, for the most part, every single night, we would write down what we appreciated about each other and what we was grateful for. And we read it over with each other, and it really sparked our marriage to another level because I could be very vocal sometimes, and sometimes I'm not. And then sometimes I thought I said something and I didn't ever say it. <laughs> I'm guilty of that. And when you write stuff down on paper, You'll be amazed of what you know. You'll be amazed of what you even missed. And when I wrote it down on paper, I was like, "Wow!" Like I was just more appreciative. And then Mana was able to hear what I was appreciative f- for her for because uh, I always want Manna to feel like she is valued and that she is appreciated, and, and that it doesn't always happen because you get so caught up with life. And so one of our bigger challenges for me is just being intentional. Is showing my love for Mana and actually showing that she she is my she is my number one out of everything.
1: I would say the same thing um, I think that the whole notebook thing we're talking about it was kind of like our way of trying to turn our brains back to gratitude, which makes a huge impact i think even like even if you're not married, I think ending the day um with just like a small tiny I have like this tiny little notebook here. Um, And just putting, like, the day's date and saying this is what happened today and this is what I'm grateful for, the air in my lungs and having food or whatever. I think ending the day like that, it's kind of like rewarding your brain and saying, you know, life isn't really that terrible. (laughs) And there is progress. It records progress. And it records the small moments that happen throughout the day that become really big and are the bricks to that become the bricks of your life. So I think that really helped us in marriage a huge amount Um, and when he was talking about intentionality just like because we were very focused on like why are we here we need to remember like why are we here we're here to learn we're here to be servants and to be a help Um, and I think just communicating at the end of the day and say you know um, what am I trying to say like just small like touches like hey I see you or hey I appreciate this that you did today or is there anything I can do for you is there anything I could have done better? Um, that doesn't have to be every day, but, like, once a week. Um, and before we said yes to anything, we, we tried to to convene with one another. Um, the pastors there, it's really interesting, the culture there, oftentimes they'll turn to the woman and they'll ask, is this good, you know? And I would turn to T-Wayne, and I'm like, I don't know, like, what do you think? And, then, and they start laughing, and they're like, oh, is your woman, you know, uh, <laughs> and uh but but um and, and we just had to learn to before we say yes, let's try to like check in with each other first, and then and then, okay, yeah, we have a unanimous yes, because that can kind of help with the miscommunication that tends to be the big the big uh issue, I think, is communication, and just being intentional, so that's all. Good.
2: Anybody else?
0: So the question is, what was the biggest culture shock when we got to Cochabamba, Bolivia? You didn't experience
1: culture shock as much.
0: It's like everything. I've I've been graced with being able to adapt to wherever I'm at. I've been graced to be able to grow where I've been planted. But what hit me is the fact that when we went to Iprimacy, which is pretty much like a smaller Kroger, I couldn't just go in and 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 get everything I need without thinking. I was like, usually when I go to Kroger, I know where everything's at. To the point where I got everything, I got everything in my basket before it's even in my basket because I know where everything is at. And so, and and yeah, in Ipermatzi in Ise Norte, you had to. We went to every single aisle to to see where everything was at. And then not only that, we were tracking how much it was. And then we would put it in our basket. I had my phone. I put it in my phone. Yeah, the, the ratio. It was seven Bolivianos per American dollar, by the way. And then it would change over time. Yeah, it would fluctuate. But the biggest culture shock was, was being a baby. I had to be a baby. And, and I say that because there was two-year-olds that was able to communicate effective, effectively enough to get what they want, and there was times I couldn't get what I want because I couldn't communicate, and most of the time when we went to the grocery store, Manna, she would actually be the person to get our meat, because you have to get the meat in kilos, and you have to get cheese sliced up, like just getting some cheese. You probably want to tell them the experience is about the cheese, but some, if you don't say the right thing, they would give you like a big block of cheese, and, and you only need this much cheese, and they would look at us crazy, but with, with the color of our skin, most people thought we was Brazilians. And then when we spoke, they was like, hey, they done the edits," And I said, yo soy de los Estados Unidos. They said, oh, so you, you don't speak any Portuguese because Brazilians, they speak Portuguese. I said, no, I don't speak Portuguese. I barely speak any Spanish. And they would look at me and scratch their head and say, okay, well, how can I help you? But um, the biggest culture shock was probably just just, just humbling myself. I had, preached on that, I had preached on that Sunday at my home church about humility. And humility is something that we all need and something that we don't really think about, but we have to walk in it and we have to we have to be humility. And when you go to a different country, different language, different food, different everything, you have to humble yourself and be open to receive what God has in store for you.
1: Real quick, I would just say that my biggest culture shock was when we entered into Bolivia um, was just all the sights and the smells. I'm, I'm, I was born and raised in like a country environment, and Cochabamba, though it's, it's not like Atlanta or anything, it's very much a city, and um, I was very sensitive to the loud noises and things like that. There was constantly dogs barking at our apartment, and eventually, over time, like, that faded into the background. Or the smells, like there's incense being uh, burned at the beginning of every month to uh, Pachamama, and it's throughout the entire city. In the apartment, we can't hang up our clothes overnight. So, like the smells, um, I just all those kind of sensory things. I think was a lot for me at first, but then I grew to love it because of the people and the friendships we made. So, yeah.
3: <laughs> Good question. Anybody else? Yeah, question. Yes. So, Anna was learning the language significantly quicker than you were.
0: How did you handle those frustrations? Okay. <laughs> so <Frustrated>. <laughs> 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 this is a question from yeah. okay. people asked before. So <laughs> the question is that, that my wife Manna, she already has some Spanish experience because of because of college and so <laughs> there were times where I was well pretty much how did I deal deal with the fact that my wife was learning Spanish at a faster rate than myself um, it was humbling it was humbling and I was able to learn a lot from Manna because of her understanding and her comprehension of Spanish with me I was able to communicate pretty good but as far as understanding people I would say C and you don't say C to everything it <laughs> <laughs> And he just had a great attitude about it. Yeah, because there have been times I said, see, and you weren't supposed to say see. And they looked at me like, I don't think this guy knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but how, how I dealt with it, I had to eat my humble pie. And I also had to recognize that we are in different seasons. And I, I can't compare myself with manna. The Bible teaches that when you compare yourself, it's, it's, it's not wise and there's there's strengths that manna display, and there's strengths that I display, but when we come together, we are, we are blessed and unstoppable, and I had to eat my humble pie by saying, T-Wayne, it's okay, and that's why I had to study, I had to study a lot more than manna, and I had to fail my way to success, and I'm not saying that I I I'm, I was very successful, but what I'm saying is that I wasn't scared to scrape my knees. I wasn't scared to scrape my elbows and be laughed at. Because one of the most humiliating things I went through, I love to laugh. And when you are with a group of people and they are speaking a different language and everybody's laughing and telling these jokes that's about the culture and about everything, and I'm I'm trying to figure things out, and I couldn't laugh. And then the times I did laugh, it felt like it was fake. And it ate me up inside because I'm like man I want to understand what these people are saying I want to be able to connect but I couldn't for a, a, a long period of time and you have to you have to be you have to your security have to be in Jesus because insecurity is because your security is elsewhere your security is in yourself and there's a lot of all your insecurities it comes out on a, on the mission field because you are who you are. You are because of your habits and you are because of what you have done in the past years or so. And so, as far as being frustrated, being humble, receiving God's grace, and understanding okay, what can you do to take the steps to pr- prepare you for the future? I have a question. Mm hmm, great. So the question is, what, I'm going to give it back to you. So the question is, what hobbies did we pick up while we was in Cochabamba, Bolivia?
1: You can answer first. No, you can. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Fun things that we picked up on while we were in Cochabamba took some time. (laughs) Uh, I think that, hmm, man, I actually have to really think about it because, hmm, Okay, so what I really enjoyed doing was um, cooking with the ladies. Um, When we went to a a youth conference, and it was, there were no Americans, literally just Bolivians, and very little people could speak English. And um, they let me cook with them, and uh, it was really fun. And I invited some of the ladies over to the apartment, it didn't have a whole lot of room, but they were fine with that, which was cool. That was my Americanness, being like, oh, you have to, but they were fine, um, and getting to cook with them and stuff, and we also enjoyed, I think, um, just going out and looking around, going for walks, and talking with the, the owners of the shops. There was a shop that was literally right at the apartment, and I will forever miss that, we don't, we, we have to drive now, <laughs> but here, like, I mean, in uh, Bolivia, we literally had a, a, a store, and we would just go down there and get whatever we needed if we ran out of something, um, so talking with them, and uh, reading. <laughs> I think that's about it. To be honest, I, I don't, I just feel like I didn't spend a whole lot of time doing other extracurricular things, unfortunately. Um, I, I think I could have done better with that. Yes. But with, with the Spanish and learning, like, you don't, like, I didn't realize how much of the energy that I was spending on on just living and speaking Spanish that at the end of the day I would be pretty tired. Um, and I would just, you know, I would write in a journal and read the word and then go next day, next thing, and cook. Cooking at the apartment was really nice. <laughs>
0: That was the personal time. Uh, for me, we played soccer probably maybe twice every single month. And this is not outside on the grass where there's a big field and I can use my speed to just run past everybody and kick the ball into the goal. It was more on like a basketball court. So there it's called conscious and the conscious, they're not that big. It's, it's about the size of a basketball court, and it's very fast-paced. You might have, have about four or five people, and they are just passing the ball. It's almost like foosball. If you ever play foosball, like, it goes very fast. And that's how it is in Bolivia. <clears throat> and so I was able to connect with a lot of people playing soccer, and, <laughs> man, I can tell you, I'd be all over the place, and I might have played maybe eight games straight. Yeah, I'd be limping three days later. <laughs> I'd be limping. Up. My, my leg probably would have got, it got hyperextended. I didn't know nothing about it. it just be sw- swelled up. I'm like, man, what happened to my leg? <laughs> and it's, it's because I had played so much soccer. Because if you score two or three goals, then the next team would play. And we had about four or five teams usually. And so the game was to be very fast paced. So soccer was one of the hobbies. Uh, playing basketball by myself. At our apartment, we had this basketball court, and I would put on my headphones. i put on some music. might put on a sermon, put on something, and I would just play basketball. But during that time, sometimes I would just take my headphones off, and I would just sit down, and I would just look around. And I'm like, wow, I'm in Bolivia. I'm in Coach Obama, Bolivia, and I'll just be in awe of what God is doing. And so just meditating would be another another hobby because – Life is so fast. Life goes by so fast, and sometimes we don't stop and smell the roses. You talk to the guards a lot. Yes. <laughs> that was another hobby, I would say, just just talking. <laughs> talking, 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 talking. And we was blessed with these two guards, John and Ishmael. And John, he was more talkative than Ishmael, and they asked a lot of questions, and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with the both of them, and... John, he he asked me, he said, out of all places, why did you come to Bolivia? Because he, he wants to come to America so bad. And that's one of the things that pluck our heartstrings is that the fact that the, the people that we spoke to, they want to come to America so bad for the opportunity and just be, be able to experience new things, but they don't make enough money. They can never probably afford a visa. Then you also have to show that you're able to sustain yourself if you was to move over here. But... Talking with John and Ishmael, it helped me so much with my Spanish, and it also helped me with my walk with the Lord because they watched everything that I did, from me dribbling my basketball with how I communicate with people, how I hold the door open for my wife, every single thing. And John, he would ask me biblical questions, and I was able able to give him biblical answers with my Spanish Bible in front of me. And a lot of things I had to translate with my phone. Thank God for my phone to be able to translate a lot of the things. And he was able to understand it, and he was able to shake his head and just think. Because the hardest thing that we never do is just think. The hardest thing we never do is think. And John, he, he was able to think about, wow, like there, there is an afterlife. And I don't really, I'm really not sure what's going to happen after I die. And with Ishmael, he he was a servant at heart. He was always running around the apartment, making sure everything was getting fixed, and he would ask us how we was doing. And it's weird, when we came back to the States, we had went to Subway, and this man, he had an excellent spirit. He was about to get ready to make our sub, and he was just smiling, and he was just doing his job very well. And it was almost awkward because of how great he was doing his job. And the reason I say that is because... There'd be times where we are at places, we was just so used to the people just being at their job and just, huh, here you go, and, and, <laughs> and, and it, was just, it would just be kind of offish but then you have to just share the love of God with them or just give them that grace because you don't know what people are going through. And that's one thing God would teach me is that you have to meet people where they are. You always have to meet people where they are in order to get them where they need to be, in order to get them where God wants them to be, I should say. And where the people are in Bolivia, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And uh, so one of the hobbies, another hobby is also us walking. That is very important to, to just you and your wife or, yeah, you and your wife, <laughs> to go out and to just just be. Hold hands, look at what God is doing, see where God has placed you, and just thank him for it. In those walks, we had some great conversations, and <laughs> sometimes we had to shoo away the dogs. There was a lot of dogs. I might get an opportunity to share about the dogs. But, <laughs> but, but just getting outside, you have to get outside. I, I love being outside. Yeah, a lot of people's outside working in their gardens. A lot of people are working on their cars. A lot of people just outside, and they actually have uh, a holiday where the people three times out of the year they they don't drive until after six o'clock p.m. and they just they outside and they walking around, they riding their bikes, and they just working together as a family. and, And it's such a beautiful thing. And I know something like that would probably never happen in America, where we don't drive our cars at all. And was, it was so sweet to be able to see that in Coach Obama, of Bolivia. Good
2: man. Good man. Let's do this. Let's change up. So, if you have any other questions, we'll come back. T uh, Wayne and Uh we're going to change gears a little bit. And we're going to go uh, with Noah. And we're going to discuss. Can I get the mic? <coughs> so, uh, thanks for that, T Wayne and And we'll come back to that. Um, I appreciate that very much. Uh, there's a lot of things. Let me say this. Students, uh, you know that you need to turn in your notes to uh, Julie, right? And so, whether it's typed or whether it's written, and you shoot an image, make sure you take notes so that she can count you present for the class. Uh, but let me say this a lot of these things you should grab a hold of. You know, he said, both of them said so many things that could help you while you're there. Um, and so, listen to those things. Maybe help you in your marriage, maybe, maybe it would help you in life, or maybe even learn. You know, just the fact that. Uh, T. Wayne was able to laugh at himself. You know, that humble pie that he's talking about, a lot of people don't do well eating that thing. And uh, because of it, they stunt their own growth. I mean, look at me. I never grew. Uh, But, you know, you stunt your own growth. Um, It's not that God doesn't want you to grow. It's not that God doesn't want you to learn more of the language or culture or ministry, whatever it is. Uh, You're stunting your own growth. And so um, there's a lot of things that you should write down or you should at least pay attention to. Right.
3: Okay, um, let's go with Noah. And Noah, it is do you have yeah. Okay, thanks. just for a second, um, we're gonna look at. Let's go to Proverbs 17 quickly. Proverbs 17. We're gonna talk about deputation. Just for a minute, I'm excited to hear about the great report from the hills. We sure love you guys and excited to hear about uh, how God has blessed your internship and uh, this wonderful stuff. But just changing gears just a little bit, looking at deputation. Uh, just quickly, just a few a few things uh, that we're gonna look at. Proverbs 17. Verse 27, verse 27. Proverbs 17, verse 27. Proverbs 17, verse 27. Let's read this, and then we're going to read verse 28, and uh, I'm just going to dive into just a couple thoughts on deputation. Um, that's about all the experience I have is deputation, so that's all I can give you. So here we go. T- verse 27. He that has knowledge, spirits, his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Verse 28. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Let's read that one more time, verse 28. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. You say, well, no. how does this have anything to do with deputation? Deputation is supposed to talk, 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 talk. Well, I think there's a great principle here in Proverbs in Proverbs 17 that we need to grab before we begin deputation. Here's the thing. With deputation, you're going to be invited into churches, and um, you're, you're going to be expected to present the ministry, and rightfully so. You go into a church, you present the ministry, you tell them your burden. Um, but there's a principle here in Proverbs 17 that I think every missionary should grab a hold of, and it's um, when not to talk, when not to talk. I've, seen, I've been to many missions conferences. I've seen many missionaries— almost talk themselves out of support. They just run their mouth so much that <laughs> no one wants to get behind them. And it's, it's wild because here's the thing. It's it's like this awkward dichotomy of like, yeah, you're supposed to go and present and talk, but there's times when you're not supposed to talk. So here's some things that we, I think Proverbs is trying to tell us even a fool. Okay. We're talking about, I think there's kind of a, a fool is in a derogatory term, right? This is a not, not a good guy. Most missionaries are not fools necessarily, but take it in, the, in, the, in the, a similar principle. Um, we don't really know what we're doing, especially first-time missionaries, deputation missionaries. We've got a dream, right? We have a desire. We have a vision of what we think we're going to go do, what we want to go do. Uh, what God's placed on our heart to go do, uh, you know, we might have a little bit of experience, like a six-month internship in Bolivia. Maybe you're a missionary kid; you've grown up on the mission field. Uh, maybe you have an internship under your belt, or a little bit, maybe a little bit of language. But at the end of the day, we just don't really know. Does that make sense? Like we're just rookies at the whole thing, and so we're invited into these big churches. And there's people with tons of experience, whether it's in business or ministry or marriage, and they're looking to us and they're expecting to hear, you know, what God's laid in our heart. And that's what you're going to do, right? To share what God's laid in your heart. So you're supposed to talk, okay? You're supposed to talk. You're supposed to share share, uh, these, these churches and these people, what God has done in your heart. But outside the pulpit is where people really mess up. They just run their mouth so much thinking they know everything and they just don't. That's just the facts of it. Um, new missionaries because here 's the thing it's it 's like this frustration because you're sp- you 're brought in to know the answers, but you don 't have the answers <laughs> right? you 're brought in to you know to to share everything about this country that you 're going to, but you don 't know about the country and so what people do in their pride instead of just shutting their mouth and, and saying i don 't know is they begin to just run their mouth they begin to just run their mouth and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk because that 's what they were brought in to do right talk and they 'll have conversations and you just won 't shut. And so what Proverbs is saying here is even a fool, when he holds his peace, he's counted wise. Okay, even though you don't really know what you're going to do, what you're, you have an idea of what you want to do. You have a ministry philosophy, right? You have a desire. You've seen it happen. Like here's the thing. I was on deputation. All I'd, saw, all I'd seen was the, the coffee's ministry, and I saw like a picture, like an image of what could be, right? And I'm like, man, this is awesome. This is what I desire to do but I've never done it myself, right? Like since I'm, I'm almost speaking for someone else. And here's the thing, almost everybody in this room is going to be in a similar si- season or stage, right? You're going to go to an internship. You're going to see a picture, an image of, you know, what could be, but to actually experience it yourself is a whole nother, is a whole nother thing, right? It's a whole other life. And so I've seen the like an image of a successful ministry in South Africa with the coffees and how God used them. And so now I'm returning back to the United States And I'm going to, you know, share my heart with what I think God wants me to do in Africa, but I hadn't done it yet. So here's a principle that really helped me. Okay. That's the principle that really, really helped me. Even though I don't know what I'm doing, even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. So you get up, you share the burden, you share the ministry that you believe God's calling you to do, uh, you have a heart for, then you get out of the pulpit and just shut up. (laughs) I mean, just don't run your mouth because here's what many missionaries do. They just start talking. They'll talk about everything under the sun. And then watch this. And then it says, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. So you can walk into a church. You share your burden. You share your ministry. This is what we think God's wanting us to do. This is what we believe God's calling us to do. And then you you, you step off the stage and you go and you start ha- passing out prayer cards. And then you're going to leave that meeting and people are going to be like, that's a wise person. That's a man of understanding. That's a couple of understanding. And you don't even have the understanding. That makes sense. You see what's happening here in Proverbs like, the dude doesn't know what he's doing. He's a fool. But people walk away from him saying he's wise. It's kind of interesting. It's like, what in the world? This guy's entering into the conversation a fool, and he's leaving a man of understanding. Why? Because he shut his lips. He shut his lips. I mean, it's a simple principle that so many people mess up because they won't shut their mouth. And here's the thing. We talk too much. I talk too much. I'm the first one on the docket, right? I run my mouth too much. We talk too much. And if we would learn, and this is deputation context, right? Outside of deputation, you're hanging out with friends, talk. I mean, have, have a good time. But this is in deputation, right? You're, you're going to present the ministry, and then you have people coming up to you asking questions you don't have the answers to, right? Trying to, trying to probe you, because here's the thing. You're, you're the visitor, but here's what I want to challenge you, challenge you to do on deputation, and it's something that really helped me a ton, is, is flip the conversation. Flip the conversation uh, to other people, because here's the thing. You're brought in to talk and you're brought in to answer questions, and rightful, so do your job, right? Do your job, present the ministry, but when you have an opportunity, then flip the conversation and begin to ask other people questions, right? Begin to talk to other people. Begin to ask people. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a phrase we learn often in school, and it's this. It says, um, you know, there's no such thing as a stupid question. That's very false, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's very false. Uh, you learn that when you're 5, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, and then it starts getting really uncute when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, <laughs> right? There are really, there, there's definitely such thing as a stupid question. Don't ask stupid questions, but ask questions that are going to help you. Ask questions that are going to be meaningful. Um, I've been around missionary couples that ask really, really stupid questions. I've probably asked many stupid questions, but ask questions that are going to help you. Okay, here's the thing. Here's what I began to understand. As I traveled around, you're in hundreds of different, of church, 100 different churches, different styles, different, um, years. Some churches are new, new church plants. Some churches have been there for 50, 60 years. You know, some pastors are new pastors. Some pastors have been there, um, you know, for seasons and and generations. And I mean, it's crazy. Some pastors, I've met a pastor that's been pastoring the same church for like 60 years. I mean, some of them are very faithful and some of them are like, Hey, this is my second year on the job. And we just want to bring in missionaries to kind of get some momentum started. And so there's so many things that you can learn from them, because here's the thing, these pastors and these laymen, laymen as well, not just pastors, laymen, businessmen, and just faithful church members, have way more knowledge than I do. Makes sense? Like they have so much more knowledge than I do. I'm going into this church, into this, into this ministry, to present the ministry, but when I get done presenting the ministry, I mean, there is a wealth of knowledge that I can learn from these lay people. There's a wealth of knowledge I can learn from these pastors and these pastor's wives, ladies. I mean, there's so, so much stuff we can learn from just this. I mean, there's a, there might be a a widow that's just been faithful. I mean, she's just been stinking faithful. Her husband passed away 20 years ago, but she's just staying faithful. She still gives faithful to faith promise and serves in the children's ministry. I mean, there's so much to learn there, ladies. So much to learn there. And so what Tristan and I begin to do is just like, listen, we don't have the answer. We don't know what we're really doing. Um, you know, we're, we're a we've seen what God did in the coffees. And so this is all we can say what we want to do, but we don't, we haven't done it, right? We haven't done it. So let's just take an opportunity to learn. And here's what we need to understand. These people, um, right? These laymen, these pastors, they had lasting and strong marriages. And Tristan and I didn't have that. You know, we're We and three and a half years in right now. We still don't even understand what we're doing. So we're, we're, we're brand new at this thing. When other, these pastors that we're going to and we're their guest speaker, they've been married for 33 years, 50 years. We're like, yeah, three years. Hoo-hoo. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't know what we're doing. So so here's an opportunity. Instead of me just talking about a country I really don't know much about, flip the conversation. Pastor, how long have you been married? You know, just dive in. What, what, what's some advice that you can give to a young married couple? And here's the thing. When you open up to pastors and people, they, they, they want to ask you because you're the guest. But when you start asking them, I mean, they just start opening up. And it's so true. Some of these guys can Attest to that. They want to tell. They want to talk. They don't really care uh, about everything that they, they. They know you don't know. I mean, we're twenty years old, guys. Like we don't know what we're talking about. So if we flip that thing around and we just start asking, then there's so much things we can learn. So many things that we can learn. Not only did they have faithful and strong marriages, they had faithful kids. You know what I'm saying? Like some of these pastors, they had children that are in the ministry, and you know that are my age in the ministry. And so that's really awkward, right? You're going in and you're you're the same age as their child. And uh, you're presenting this ministry, and you think you're big, bold, and bad, and you haven't done anything, and and you come in with arrogance and and pride, and they're gonna be gonna be like, what's going on? You know, I have children your age, and I know what they go through, and I know that they make dumb decisions, and I know that they don't know everything, and so they have lasting children. We have we had a little baby, you know, we had a one year old on deputation, you know, they had twenty one year olds at at home. You know what I'm saying? There's so much I can learn from them. I'm like, dude, how do I get from here to there? I mean, there's a lot of life that has to be lived between my one-year-old son Logan to your 21-year-old son that's married in in ministry. You know what I'm saying? There's so much to learn. But if I sat here and ran my mouth and just talk, 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 I'm going to miss a valuable opportunity to learn about child rearing, about marriage, about longevity in the ministry, right? We've been in the ministry, uh, full-time ministry, for two and a half years. If you can count deputation, it's really not— Ministry, Most people would even say, right? But it's technically full-time ministry, right? We're working full-time in the ministry. But I mean, they're talking gr- the day-in, day-out day grind of ministry. We don't even have that much experience in. But these pastors have been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, if you, if you are such a fool to walk in there and just run your mouth instead of learning from these guys and these, these, these pastors, pastor's wives, laymen, laymen's wives that have just been faithful for longer than you've been alive, oh, you're doing yourself a great disservice a great disservice. Not only that, uh, they, had been, they had been or are going through valleys and tough times. They have they, they, they come out on the other side. That makes sense. As a 21-year-old man with a one-year-old baby and my wife, you know, we thought life was just i mean, the easiest thing in all the world. Right? And you're just walking around to churches, and you've got this dream and this desire, and you've never been through anything difficult in your entire life. And then these pastors and these laymen and these people that you're, you're serving and ministering to, they have been. They know what it's like to go through a tough time. They know what it's like to go through a trial. And for us not to, there were some things we learned on deputation that God was preparing us for whenever he gave us Eleni. We didn't even understand. You know, we didn't understand that. But there's people that, I mean, we, we met a, a pastor with a disabled daughter, and she was in a wheelchair, and she, she'll, she'll never be married, never be married. Will Eleni be married? I don't know. We're praying that she will one day. We don't know her severity. But if we get to that point, there's a pastor I have in my repertoire that I can go back to and say, "What what did you do? You know, how did you get through these times and these seasons and these struggles?" But but here's and they're supporting pastor. But if I would have ran my mouth and come in cocky, arrogant, saying I I got I know exactly about Mozambique, I don't know everything about it, I would have lost a valuable resource. That makes sense. And so there's so many things that God could be preparing us for. And here's the thing: I'm not saying I did it all all right at at all. I probably made way too many mistakes with running my mouth too much and talking, and. but I'm just, I'm trying to give some advice from, you know, hindsight's 20 right? And some things I wish I would have done. Not only that, uh, they had friends and people who loved them. Uh, there's so many things we can learn about friendships and longevity. And this this is another one. They had a strong understanding of God in the Bible more than I did. Does that make sense? Like you're preaching to people who've been studying the Bible longer than you've been alive. You've been preaching, you're preaching to people that know the Bible. <laughs> they've, they've read it a um, hundred times more than you have. You know what I'm saying? You're preaching to people that know God, that walk with God. And if I'm going to walk in and lose an opportunity to learn from these seasoned laymen, these seasoned um, church members or pastors or ministry leaders, uh, I think you're doing yourself a great disservice. I really do. And so deputation, I think we see it sometimes as a different perspective. We're coming in supposed to be the person who talks. And you are for a moment. You have a season, like a little time, 15, 20 minutes. And then just shut your mouth and learn and learn and learn because it's a golden opportunity that most people never get they never get that uh, people I've, we've had the argument you know why, why not go to the Southern Baptist Convention you know why not go through something like that I think deputation is amazing it's an amazing opportunity not only to raise prayer warriors and supporters for life but also to uh, learn I mean there's, there's, some, there's things you're going to learn in deputation that many missionaries never will They'll never learn that. Many missionaries going out of maybe a bigger convention or some, some, some form like that, they're never going to learn because they didn't get an opportunity to be around these people that love God and uh, know God. And so anyway, I think, I think Proverbs 17 gives us a great blueprint for new, new missionaries, new people going in, uh, because you can ask all these guys that have been through missions, conferences, and deputation, there's, there's always going to be that couple that thinks they know what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? There's always going to be that couple that just thinks they have all the answers, And uh, I could list name after name after name. They still are in my mind from missions conferences because they just would not shut up. They had no clue what they were doing, and they knew it, and everybody else knew it. that they didn't know what they were doing. You know what I'm saying? They just kept talking. And uh, Proverbs is telling us, listen, you can go in a fool, and you can leave wise. You know what I'm saying? You can go in not knowing, and you can leave a man of understanding if we will just apply this principle to our lives about deputation, um, I think. I think it's uh, secondly here, just quickly, and then I'm going to stop talking. Uh, 1 Timothy three three. This is a principle we learned of deputation. First Timothy three three. Apostle Paul is talking about, um, you know, the requirements for a bishop. You can Turn there if you if you can quickly. We're not going back to Proverbs, so turn to 1 Timothy three three. First Timothy three three. Um, Right requirements for a a bishop, a person in the ministry, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Um, Learn to be a giver on deputation. Learn to be a giver on deputation. Another awkward dichotomy, right, of you're trying to go get money to go do what God's called you to do, but we're not supposed to be covetous, right? Not supposed to be loving, filthy lucre. That's, that's talking about money, right? Things that money buys. You're going to be given a lot of money on deputation. If you think about the things that you're going to get, the materials you're going to have, the items you want on the field that you're going to, um, you're very shallow, very shallow. We cannot set our mind and our heart on things, oh, wow, you know, I got this big love offering check. What am I going to buy in the mission field? Oh, wow, this person just sacrificially gave me a $100 bill them working all day, what am I going to buy with this? Oh, wow, I can't wait to get here so I can get this ping pong table. Oh, I can't wait to get here so I can buy this four, four-wheeler. Oh, I can't wait to get here so I can buy this vehicle. It's very shallow. It's very shallow. What the Apostle Paul is telling us here is do not be greedy, a filthy lucre. It's a hard thing. It's a very hard thing because sometimes you go in and deputation, you're broke as a joke, right? You've got, you've got nothing. And all of a sudden, people start piling money on you. And if you don't learn to be a giver, you're going to be a greedy pig. You're going to be a greedy pig. It's just what's going to happen. We've seen it happen all the time. It just happens. So there's, there's got to be times for you to find yourself being a giver. Not only This is, not, this is beyond your, your faithful tithes and your faith promise given to your church. If you're, not, if you're not tithing and faith promise given to your church, then don't be a hypocrite going in and asking people for money. Right? That's just not right. If you don't even give faithfully to your home church and faith promise, if people are saying, hey, we're doing this faith promise missions program, and you're there as a recipient of their faith promise, and you're not giving to your faith promise, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. So this is beyond beyond your faithful tithing and faith promise. This is little areas, little ways. Think about sacrificially, if there's a work, if there's a project, if there's things going on, to where you can give. You can give to that. Because um, that's one way that you're not going to be full of a filthy, greedy, a filthy lucre, right? We've heard the the Red Sea analogy, uh, not the Red Sea, the Dead Sea, sorry, the Dead Sea analogy, right, of why is it dead? You know, why does, why why does it not have any life to it? Uh, We've got a little pool outside of our house. If you come and visit our home, Logan loves to play with water outside on a little patio. He's got this big green pool, and we fill it up with water like every week, right? Fresh water, but you know what happens when the sun comes up and the heat starts kicking in and, you know, just sits stagnant is it becomes to get moldy and green and nasty. So then he's not allowed to play with it, and Tristan asked me to go change out the water, and so I have to go change out the water. You know why it happens? It's fresh water at one point, and it became nasty later because there was no flow, right? There was no output. It didn't have anywhere to go. So the water just sat there, and flies would get in, and mosquitoes would get in, and you know, moss would start growing. It just became really nasty. But at one point, it was fresh. At one point, it was clean, right? But it became to get nasty and stagnant. Logan can't even play in the water anymore. He'll probably, get, he'll probably get, get sick, you know, he catch some kind of disease. It's so gross. So what are we going to do? we got to change it out. And here's the thing, with our lives, like, you're going to be given a ton of money, a ton of money on a, as a missionary, people sacrificially giving you money. But one way to keep that stuff fresh and flowing and not not be greedy a filthy lucre is to be able to find an outlet to be able to get it out some way, somehow. Give to the work of the ministry, um, help out some some interns that need help on internships, or maybe a work overseas, the, the continent that you're going to. I like giving to the continent that I'm going to. It's just more um, logical in my opinion. If I'm raising money for this continent, this is the continent I'm gonna probably give more heavily towards, um, you know, give to that. You know, people are supporting you to go to Asia, then put your resources in Asia, right? It doesn't have to necessarily be your country, but give to Asia. If you're going to Africa, and there's a work in Africa, give to Africa. If there's a work in South America, and you're, you're raising support for South America, Give to South America. Find areas and outlets of ways that you can give to people Um, because I promise you that's it's just going to be one area to guard your heart of not being greedy of filthy lucre. Um, And so there's just a a few thoughts on on deputation. I just want to share with you about just holding our tongue and, and being a giver, just being a giver. So that's it, Brother Jeff.
2: Bible verses, he just gave you a little stab that could help you, and it might just cut out that nasty cyst that could become cancerous, in other words, we all have that, uh, you know the greediest people are not the richest people, many times the greediest people are the poor people, because the, the, the less you have, the more you want. Right, and it's not the money that's the the wicked. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. Right, and so we all have within us. You know, don't don't think of others like um, no, no. We all have within us, and that desire. If we're not careful, in the book of um, spiritual leadership, it talks about a spiritual ambition. And sometimes, even though we want to serve God, if we're not careful, it can become very carnal. Like. I want to get there so I have the biggest ministry, I have the most money, everybody loves me, everybody respects me, and it becomes this, you know, almost a carnal ambition, using God to get what we want. Well, that money could be the same way, and we have to guard our hearts, for out of it, out of the heart, come all the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23, right? And so, guard our heart, that was that was excellent, and I think very needed, um, We do not want to, the the green, greedy, you know, money monster is out there and uh, takes away many, and many people get hurt because they go from not having money to having all this money, and what do I do? Um, I believe, you, you can research this on your own, but I'm pretty positive it was John Rockefeller, you know, one of the richest men way back in the early 1900s, said, one of the worst things you can do for your children is have them depend on the almighty dollar. You know, we're supposed to be dependent on the almighty God, right? And the almighty dollar, just like, this is my answer. This takes care of everything. Like, don't do it. And uh, our, maybe our biggest test is not when we don't have money. That's almost good sometimes, because that's when we cry and we look up and say, oh, God, I need you. The biggest test is not when we don't have money. The biggest test is when we do have money. Because when we do have money, we can pat our pocket and like, it's all good. I don't need you, God. You say, I would never say that I know but how we act. And so um, sometimes the not having is actually a, a good thing. But be cautious. Don't let, there's so many uh, spiritual leeches, per se, that, that want to grab a hold of your body and suck out the life of, of spirituality. And the devil sends those leeches all over. You know, you, you, you don't need that whether it's the leech of bitterness or the leech of, you know, greed or the leech of ang- you know, whatever it is, uh, man, you don't need that. It just keeps sucking the life out of you. The guy can handle it well until all the leeches, you know, you know, George Washington, they, they used to believe way back, you know, hundreds of years ago that the leeches could take out the bad blood to heal you. And then they literally killed George Washington, first president of the United States. They killed him because they put leeches on trying to suck out the bad blood. When they didn't realize, you know, (laughs) they were taking his life because life is in the blood. I mean, Leviticus taught us that. They should have read that one, right? But um, they did. But many times we think we can handle a couple leeches like, okay, I'm greedy, but what's the big deal, dude? Like everybody's got their issues. Okay, I have anger issues, but come on, dude, everybody does. And the leeches will end up swelling up and sucking all the blood out of us. We all must be careful. And before you look and judge, yeah, I know so and so. No, 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 no. Look at you. You know, Andrew talked about that mirror last night that everybody needs, right? Um, I mean, not everybody wakes up as good as Andrew looking that that sharp every day, right? But no, we all need a mirror. So how's your greed? How are you talking? Dale Carnegie in the book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People says, um, you can gain more friends by being interested in people instead of trying to get them to be interested in you right? And so you go in and talk and see how good you are and everything, switching to what Noah said in Proverbs twenty seventeen, Like, no, don't do that. Like, learn to keep your mouth shut. Learn to keep the greed monster down. Learn to, you know, these principles were great principles. Anybody have any questions for Noah about what he just spoke about? Anything at all? Go ahead, buddy.
3: Yeah, so he's asked, uh, "What's the best? What, what's one of the ways that you invested your time while while being in the vehicle while driving?" I think like once you leave a meeting, um, it's good just to rehash with your wife, uh, just talk about stuff, um, ask her what, you know the conversation she had because there's a lot of valuable conversations my wife had that I wasn't a part of, and then vice versa, there's conversations I had with the pastor that you know she wasn't she wasn't a part of. Um, help helps you be on the same page, I think. Just, so just I spend we spent you know at least thirty minutes probably every every meeting just talking to each other, just asking about how it went, you know, what'd you think? Um, You know, Tristan didn't grow up in an independent, fundamental Baptist world, culture, and so um, it was helpful, because we had to hash out, yeah, don't tell anybody. (laughs) She, um, so it was helpful, it was really helpful.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Stripped away, no, uh, and so it was helpful for us just to talk, you know, for us to hash out because I mean, it was a different world for her when she started deputation. She'd understand everything, she'd have a, uh, you know, uh, everything wasn't you know, for me growing up, you know, I saw missionaries come through, I kind of had an understanding of the structure. It was good for her to talk to people and have conversations, and so we had to hash that out together. We probably spent 30 minutes, 45 minutes, I'd say, just after the meeting, just talking to each other and then getting on the road to our destination. Um, Tristan was probably she was pr- occupied with our children or um on the phone or doing something you know she like different things I don't know exactly I'm not going to speak for her but for myself I like to listen to podcasts I love to listen to preaching um uh I, I really found not just podcasts but what I really found was Facebook Facebook became um Facebook live because what happens with Facebook live is people will put their entire service on Facebook and then whenever the the live ends it just records it's like a recording of uh, the entire service you don't just catch the preaching you get to catch everything. So I thought it was really, it's a great opportunity for our generation because you get to go into a church bef- on, the, on my way to the service. I watched the service before. And so what happens is you don't just get to hear the preaching. What you get to hear is you get to hear the announcements. You get to hear the music that they had. You get to hear the specials. You get to hear different things. And so you can come into the church with a lot more understanding than they, than they had you know, maybe 20 years ago, right? And so it's not just a complete blindfold. So if you don't, have, if you don't know what this church is like before you go into it, um, two reasons. Either it's on you completely, or the church just doesn't have the resources to put on Facebook live. And then you go in blind and it's just, you know, you know, you don't know what you're going to expect, but majority of the churches that you're going to book are going to have, because of the COVID era, they're going to have Facebook live. It's just what they're going to have. And so you can come into the church having a good understanding of, you know, do I need to wear a tie tonight? Do I need to wear a tie Sunday? Is a pastor preaching in a tie? Um, you know, what, what I need to come in to expect. You know, is it going to be a younger congregation? Is it going to be an older congregation? Um, is it going to be a newer facility? Is it going to be an older facility? And that, that alone will, it's just like, um, it'll help you understand more of the culture behind the church. Really, if the church has been there for, for 70 years and they've an old building and they haven't updated their pews in 50 years, then you have an understanding of, you know, what the culture is going to be like. You know, it's just going to be a steady church that's just, you know, been reaching the same, you know, families for a long time. But if you have a church that you come in, they're chairs instead of to the pews. You know, th- there's been a new paint job. You know, they're, they're singing off of a screen rather than just hymn books. It gives you understanding, it gives you context of like, what am I, what am I about to come into? Because independent Baptists are independent Baptists, you know, in and of themselves. And so in that, lo- in that word alone, they're going to do whatever they want to do. There's nothing over them. They're just going to do what they need to do. And so some churches have different styles and different ways of, and so you coming in just one style, not willing to budge, it's really on you, right? It's on you. And I've seen missionaries do that. You know, they're going to they're gonna wear their three-piece suit, and their kids are all going to have their suits on and ties, and they're going to come into a church, and the pastor's just like, he's wearing our brother Jeff's got on, you know, khakis and a button-down. And so you look awkward. You look weird. I mean, it's like, what's happening? Uh, who are these weird, who's this weird family coming in? you know, And so then you get a, you get a, a stereotype automatically, boom, stereotype, you know, because there's this family. And, they, and I'm not saying this, but I'm not saying um, that's entirely wrong either. But I'm just saying it's an opportunity to learn about the church. So I spent probably, before I went to the church, um, I would I would uh, watch their, their their services. And then after, I would watch their services. And so that's, I think that's one tool that we have in our generation that many generations didn't have. And uh, it gives you context, it gives you understanding of what to expect going in. And uh, it's, it's a lot better than being blindsided, right? It's a lot better than not knowing. And so that was helpful for me. And then listening to just churches um, that uh, different – Different ministries that I, I, I enjoy. I would watch their services through Facebook or uh, through podcasts if they were if they updated podcasts a lot. Uh, books, I list the audio books. Uh, sometimes they would bore me a lot. So it depends on, you know, this, the reader. And so I'd have to, like, change it up a little bit. Um, and so I, I, books. And then we would I don't know, just play different games in the car. My wife and I. My wife loves playing games, if you know her. So she'd always have a game. Um, we did Bible trivia together. We just hang out, just do different things. She loved to do Bible trivia because, in her own terms, she says she doesn't know the Bible super well. So she's like, I just love to learn the Bible together. So she loved doing that. We played tons of hours of Bible trivia. Um, you know, play some music. Just um, We'd kill time. Time goes by. You know, time goes by. And so uh, I don't know if there's any other missionaries in deputation. Chase, you could probably speak to that, uh, some things you did on dip, on, in the car. Uh, but those are a couple things, just a couple pieces of advice I would give Know the church before you go into if you can. Um, it's not necessary, right? If, you, if, you, if you're more of like, I like the surprise kind of guy, then just wing it, you know? Um, just do it. Just do you, you know? But uh, if you want to have a, a little bit of context before you go in, I think there's a great resource called Facebook, and it will really, or YouTube, Facebook or YouTube, because YouTube does the same thing. Um, and it beats, it, I'm telling you, just hearing the message, it, it, that's great, but seeing the entire service from beginning to end it's really helpful. It's really helpful. Seeing YouTube and Facebook are the only ways to do that. Most of the time podcasts they cut it to the messages or sermon audio just cuts the messages. So um I don't know, that's just a piece of advice. Um killing time in the car, you know, we watch different things and yeah, there's a lot of things to do in the car. Any other deputation missionaries? Chase, you want to speak to something, bro? No, you got it. i
2: quiet.
4: To do that, yeah. and don't just because we're young. I mean, the truth is, I can, t- I can. I I was teaching on deputation before Noah was in first grade, probably. Uh, but there's things I can learn from Noah today yeah. that I don't know because they're they're doing it and they're doing it more effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we, were, we may have been more effective ten years ago, uh, but they're adapting and learning and. That thing about Facebook Live—I never even thought of that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh wow, that's a cool idea." Mm-hmm. Wish I would have thought of it. <laughs> 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 so, uh, but no, just put—you know—when when you put effort into the meeting, uh, like I was at Emmanuel Baptist Church, Brother Georges. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I was gonna be connected with this. probably—I was at Brother Georges, and uh, he said, "Guys," uh, he says. Guys that don't use multiply worship in your in your uh, uh, in your what do you call it uh, your presentation, uh, you're missing out because that's a big a deal to us. And if you would have studied this beforehand, you would have known that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that, but I I still wasn't smart enough to use it. So, but I learned from what I said. It was like the next time I'm going to study a little bit. Better.
2: Anybody else? That's good information. Uh, all right, anybody else? Okay, let's do this. Uh, we're going to take um, a 27-minute break. Mark, if you want to just start it off and uh, maybe provoke some questions from there? And then if you could repeat the questions.
4: Okay, yeah, you guys be thinking of some questions if you have any questions about what's going on. Um, one thing about our South Africa team uh, is – is that we actually work as a team there in south africa and i think that's one of the biggest pluses but when you work as a team you can all there's a lot of problems that come with that so a lot of people say i want to build a team i want to you know be more effective uh working uh and reaching a country Uh, so i'm gonna get a lot of americans together and go down with me and there's some advantages to that but there's also some major disadvantages you have to be super careful about your, you know, pushing your own agenda and not preferring other people above yourself. Um, And when you... Really, the only way to work as a team is to get an idea that you're going to... You're there to help them. You want to make them more successful. If you have a mentality that, hey, I want people there where they can help me, then your team's going to fail. Or your team's going to be short-lived. So... The idea, you know, in South Africa right now, we we have uh, the camp ministry, we have the children's home ministry, we have a Christian school, we have a, the uh, Bible college, um, and then we have ten churches that are that we working with there in in Port Elizabeth uh, with the missionaries that that our team has. And we don't we're not a big ministry, uh, but the Lord has allowed us as far as to uh, take what we have and and. And do and do a lot with it, uh, and we're praying that we're as we build this foundation, that years to come, because of the interaction, and involvement, and the cooperation, that we're going to be able to do, uh, see a lot more churches planted a lot lot quicker. Yeah. Anybody have a question? Uh, how has Africa changed in the last 10 years since we arrived? Truthfully, I don't think that it's changed uh, dramatically in, in, in enough to where I could probably say that these are some major changes t- taken place uh, because we've, you know, with the uh, uh, recession that hit, things kind of slowed down. We, we were starting to grow and starting to get a little bit more modern uh, in some areas uh, or, you know, Im- improvement in some areas and then that slowed down. So it kind of kind of uh a little bit of a pendulum effect it looked like it was going forward and then it it came back a little bit a lot of corruption in South Africa so there's you know in that side of things um when I you know when we first got to South Africa there was there was some pretty strong racial tensions um and and the government tries to always stoke that but it's amazing when you build relationships that that's not the, that's not in the majority of people's minds when it comes as far as disliking someone because of the color of your skin. But you do find out that uh, it's ingrained. There's a lot of racist things ingrained in people's hearts that come out over time. And, uh, you know, everybody says they're not racist. But as you're there a little bit longer, you find out. And, it, and it's racism on both sides. Uh, we're working there at the camp. And uh, the, they they teach our students because our kids a lot of our youth home kids still go to public school and the public schools teach uh the kids to to be leery of white people they teach the kids to be leery of you know that you know they just abuse people or they take advantage and they owe if you see a white person that white person owes you something so when you are taught that uh victim mentality uh you know it 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 affects you and you know we try to teach a Against that, from the Word of God, uh, but that that can always swing around and, and get you. Um, so those are things that we 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 uh, we deal with. But I don't know. Chaska might be able to say something that, as far as seeing a major change over the last ten years, I don't know that I've. You know, I can remember living in Peru and being gone from Peru, and coming back five years later six years later and I was like man this is a different place completely Uh, I mean jump, but South africa I don't know that it's it's changed changed in that way the
5: Christian culture has
4: changed Mm
5: -hmm. Uh, that's the only thing that I would think because now it's almost like especially with the young guys it's
4: like there's you're talking about in our churches correct yeah yeah Yeah, the church culture has changed we have we have a lot more churches than we did ten years ago uh, so in that aspect of it, we've seen, um, you know, we've got more guys in Bible college now. Um, it's spread out over the city. But Kevin was doing like Kevin was doing a great job when we got there, and he had around when I first got there just on a survey trip. He had probably twenty guys that were sitting around him, uh, and we would lost a lot of those guys. So it looked like we were growing quickly, and then it it it, it, it come come back, and, and a lot of those guys left. So. It's just another gradual growth. Yes, sir. So what causes some of the guys to just fall away? What causes some of the guys to fall away? Uh, The majority, um, the opposite sex. Uh, But it's just really not having a a strong personal relationship with the Lord, a strong walk with the Lord. So those are things that we always, uh, you know, we're always – teaching on and trying to get them ingrained in the word of god the problem is is that their cult this is their culture they're growing up around nudity they're growing up around sex i mean they live in two room uh shacks many times uh, or, or two bedroom little small houses and there's you know they can be um 8 to 10 15 people living in that small area so they're running around naked uh so when they get up and go in between the showers and the bedrooms or or they're washing off in the morning um, doing a just a wash, rag, bath, you know, they don't have any clothes on. And then if they bring a boyfriend or girlfriend in, it's no privacy. Uh, when if there's the mom will bring in a guy or, you know, because the majority are not married, uh, there's not a lot, of, there's not a, a strong family structure there in a lot of the townships. So they just grew up around this. So it just becomes, if you could just imagine seeing those things every single day. And when we say, hey, you know, you don't need to be having premarital sex or, Premarital relationships, uh you know, for them it's like, okay, you know, I don't, I don't need to be speeding. I don't need to be, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't cheat on the test. You know, it, it's, it's, it's things that, as you, you know, most of the people in here that went to school, some of you guys maybe not, but when I, the way I, way Jeff and I got through school is we cheated through high school. No. <laughs> Uh, even as Christians you're like, ah, you know, that's not right, it's not you shouldn't do that, but there's things that you these these little things that you know are wrong, but you it's just little sins, right? Yeah. Well, what we see as big sins, they're still there's like that's that's not a big deal. I mean I just my mom and my brothers and sisters and I mean so it's 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 that uh promiscuity is, is, is big time. Um and then alcohol. Alcohol is, and drugs is is a big deal. We, My cousin Jeremy, he went on a four-month... He started his church. He had this, a group of probably 20 teenagers uh, that he was investing, spent a lot of time with. I mean, just, just really making some good ground. He went back to the States for four months, and he came back, and almost every one of them were on meth. Uh, he had one of those kids who stayed. Uh, and then that kid ended up getting into... Uh, uh this, this sexual stuff so he lost all those kids and so it's just a it's a huge investment uh, but you know there was a, a there's been been some great losses yes sir uh what are some of your different like, strategies for the future like are you trying to get a more city and then spread out from there or trying to uh, figure out what to do in there what are some of our strategies for the future uh, we're in the major cities. We're in the fifth largest city in the country, of South Africa. We're about 1.5 million people. I think those, that number Chase gave me was closer to that, 1.8. He says. Uh, now, um, we're you know we want to uh, build strong churches so the young guys can see what a church looks like, and from those trained guys to send them out all over the townships. What we're kind of focusing on right now is to try to, to build kind of model churches closer to town around people who can afford to pay for a pastor, and then from those churches do outreaches and, smart, and start mission churches in the townships around so we can be more effective. Uh, Kevin kind of s- uh, built that a- example when he started pastoring Grace Baptist Church. Grace Baptist Church, that's a very strong church in town, uh, and they have whites, coloreds, blacks, Indians uh, and Americans uh, there. It's a pretty neat atmosphere. If you were there on Sunday, I go on Sunday night services uh, sometimes and it's a pretty neat atmosphere. Um, and then that from there, they're starting a, they started a mission church in Keja and that's where Kevin spend, spends most of his time right now. And then they're also starting um, another mission church in the colored area, but that church is completely self-supporting now. So we want to try to duplicate that model a lot more. Uh, Jeremy just started a church in town as well, uh, and he has one church in the township. So we we really believe that we can probably start more churches in the township if we do it this way that that would be longer lasting. So, you know, I'm hoping. I mean, there's there's small villages and, and towns all over South Africa that have nothing, but there's large cities all over South Africa that have nothing. Especially when you're talking about reaching in the townships. So, a little bit of everything. I a question. Um, when it comes to you all working as a team, obviously each of one of you is involved in church planning. How does that work uh, with you individually working as a church planner but also some things working as, as a team? Well, you know, that's one thing about working as a team that I think is important when you go to what? That's the question. Oh, I'm sorry. Um uh, he said, "What you guys work as a team, but how can you, how do y'all still work in as a team and and be involved in the proper way for church planning? Is, is that? Yeah, you're yeah. All We're all individual church planners, but we still work as a team. Um, well, the the way that we do that, the best, you know, I think working as a team, I think it's important to stay separated. Uh, that's one thing working with the team. A lot of people when they work as a team, they think, well, how do I have to work in the same church." Well, uh, when you work in different churches, you get to run your own ministry, but then you come, can come back and still uh, do certain things with each other without driving each other crazy. Because uh, a lot of times, missionaries, they're, they're pretty um, adventurous. They're, they're, they're pretty, you know, they're, they're leaders in some way. You, you spent time raising money, raising support. Um, you you kind of have your way you want to do things. So if you're in the same church there's there can be a lot more conflict but when you're the guy who's um in charge of the church you know you can do church the way you want to do church. And also it helps you know we're all working in separate churches and and I and I have a camp event and I'm pulling from 10 churches. If we're all just working in one church, you know it limits our our, our outreach. I like the idea of having uh 10 churches uh, in, in, in a city versus one church, and we're busing everybody in because we have 10 guys preaching. We have 10 uh, people who are teaching Sunday school classes as far as teaching you how to t- do Sunday school classes. So it, it just it expands your ministry outreach. But then, uh, like to have camp, if it, it's not just an expense on one church. But now we can spread out over 10 churches. And then when you bring, if you have, let's say we're going to have teen camp and we only have one church, you, may, you only have 10, 10 kids, and you have a nice retreat with that. But to have a a, a camp, uh, you know, you'd like to have a, a few more teenagers. But when you all work together, and when you come together, everybody kind of sees this is bigger than what we thought. This is not just our little church, but we're part of a bigger a picture of reaching the city. So it just helps the efforts. Like when we have camp, I, I have counselors from all of our churches. Uh, and they're interacting with, you know, so... We have teens from Grace who are working with teens from Soweto. And those teens from Grace are influencing the teens from Soweto. So you have different people at different maturity levels spiritually. And when you bring these other people, uh, peers of their same same ages, it just helps help, helps them see where they need to go and what they need to be aiming for. So it's just so much better when it comes to making sure you're spread out. Not That way you don't get anybody's way because man, if, if Jeremy and I get frustrated about something, uh, it's going to be over a camp issue or a conflicting schedule. But, you know, if we're at a disagreement at our odds because he doesn't like the kind of music I, I sing or I don't like the kind of music he sings, then I'm only at his church, you know, that one time. Uh, if I'm there, every service it's going to be created created issue. But, you know, I can go anywhere for once a month or once every couple of months. Because uh, we can, we move our team, our youth meetings around to the, to the different churches, and, and they, they get a different taste and a different flavor of everybody's churches. So, for us, that's been a, a great advantage. And I, I think teams make a mistake because they stay too close together. And like you, you have an, an American who's serving as an assistant pastor, and when you do that, you're not forced. You're not forced to, to try to raise up a national to be an assistant pastor. Uh, And you're not, you know, because we have our churches, and we're really pushing to to raise up leadership. But if you have your leadership already in place, you're not going to be pushed near as much uh, to get those guys prepared. Right. So, what are some of the steps that you take there? What are some of the steps we take so we can uh, be self-supporting, but also be giving to the people, especially with, in, the uh, in a, especially in the poorer continents? You know, what you know, that's always a struggle. I'll tell you, it's it's never an easy thing when you see someone who doesn't have anything. But you have to you have to think of long term. You've got to think about okay, what can I do to help? Uh, that's not going to hurt them. That's not going to hinder them. And it's kind of like the same thing with your children uh you know i don't know if we have any rich kids in here in that aspect but a lot of times you know the rich kids you you give it to your kid and he doesn't learn how to work he doesn't have a work ethic he doesn't you know and he you take you skip all these important steps and you cripple him in the in the long run so i want to make sure that we don't cripple uh our people i want to make sure that we don't cripple them so when it comes to giving to churches that don't have it, I try to give in a way that they're not going to be uh, expecting another gift. You know, I give toward buildings or I give to roofs or I may I get I may give um, certain materials. I help them gospel tracts but it's stuff that's if 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 they don't get it next month, then it's not going to hurt them. Um, but as far as the, just the individual people, you know, we help. You know, if someone comes up and says, "Hey, my son's," Uh, sick, or you know, we're needing medicine or something like that, and I know it's legit. I may give them five dollars or ten dollars, just being a habit of that. But I usually don't give to people who aren't faithful church members um, in the sense I consistently help our church people, I consistently help uh, people who are um, faithful. Uh, if they're not faithful, they may get five or ten bucks from me. Uh, but they're not, you know. I can tell you, Mama Mandisa, she uh, is a major uh, help in our ministry. She's she runs our camp kitchen, uh, but she not only that, she mothers our the children our, our children's home camp. She mothered Luke. She, she like spoiled him a lot, um, and but she was a big she was a big help and she had some something on her leg is a bad infection i can't remember what it's called but uh to a place where she almost died and we took her to the private hospital in town and took care of all of her medical um uh, problems and it was close to eight thousand dollars american dollars so we wouldn't do that for everybody uh but those who are faithful, who make a big impact in ministry, you know, uh, it's advantageous to have rich friends at times. And, uh, and one thing for us, you know, money doesn't, it's, after time, people will, will come close to you because you're money. But if you're serious and, you're, and you have high standards when it comes to teaching and preaching, those people aren't going to stay very long if they're just there for money. And you learn who those people are. Um, so you know, I don't know if that answered all your question.
5: Anybody else? I have a question. Go So if someone wanted to go to Africa as a missionary but they didn't necessarily want to work, like in South Africa or places where there's a the team, what country would you suggest if they just wanted to just reach another
4: country from Africa? What's like the best one that you think? Well, uh the question is, if if people don't want to go to South Africa, what would be the next best country to go to if they didn't want to work in, in a team? Well, as far as with, with, uh, with Vision Baptist missions, we really always want to send someone to work under missionaries. It's not an ideal situation for people to go and work uh, by themselves starting off. Uh, we always would love to have a veteran missionary. In Mozambique, we don't have the best situation set up there for our new missionaries, but we're trying to work it out to where... They're coming to South Africa on a regular basis, or we're going there every other month. Uh, so, but when I when you talk about Africa as a whole, the greatest need in Africa right now probably is the country of Nigeria. Um, it's over 200 million people, and within 50 years they're supposed to be the third largest populated country in the world, 600 to 700 million people. Uh, so, we're not even close to to, to riding the wave of. Of producing missionaries as in response to the population growth there, so Nigeria is the is probably I would say the the greatest need in Africa right now, um, and you know I love what's going on in Mozambique and truthfully when you talk about Mozambique it's over thirty million people and there's nothing going on in Mozambique. I mean we we can't one of the issues we have in the in the capital city of Maputo uh, is there's no missionaries for our missionaries to work under there. There was uh, there was some Brazilian missionaries that were there, and they're gone. There was an American missionary that was there, and he's gone. Uh, and you've got a country of over 30 million people. And we might be able to find, uh, no one could tell you this, maybe two other independent Baptist missionaries in the country. And they're spread out maybe 15 hours away or 30 hours away. So... Uh, you know, I know we had I know there's a big influence right now. I mean a, a big uh, mention of Mozambique right now, but three families is nothing for what we're going to be facing in Mozambique. Um, Mozambique, you know there was a big push for African missions in the 70s and 80s. And you see a history of missions in uh, Kenya and Uganda, even Nigeria. There was a good influx of missionaries in those countries. Um, but because Mozambique was going through a civil war, uh, they missed that push. Because if you go to Mozambique, you, you, it's kind of odd because you're like, man, these, this is a, I mean, compared to like Mozambique or to Kenya and Uganda and places like that in Nigeria, I was like, man, this is, this would be an awesome place to come to. I'm not sure why more people haven't come. And then as you read, their, you learn their history and you find out about the civil war, everybody was leaving when the missionaries were coming in. Mozambique was kind of shut down, so that was uh, one of those things. The country surrounding um, South Africa right now—you know—we have a lot of Zimbabweans that are coming into South Africa, um, and Zimbabwe's in a really bad situation. But that is a country, uh, man. I would love to get into Zimbabwe. I would love to send some people there. I'd love to. There's very, very few mission missionary works. Uh, as you as you study Southern Africa, you like. You go Congo and, and, the, and the Malawi and uh, you, you've got uh, Zimbabwe and Botswana and Namibia um, and, and some of those countries there, Eswatini. You don't have a lot of missionary involvement in those countries. You have a lot uh, in South Africa, but the countries around South Africa, you don't have a lot. Uh, and going up into Central Africa, Rwanda. Rwanda is one of the neatest countries I've ever been to. Rwanda is a country uh over 15 million people. And uh, it's known as the cleanest country in Africa. Uh, Kigali, the capital of of Rwanda, is known as the cleanest city in Africa. You go, I mean, it's a beautiful city. The weather is beautiful. The the people are just super kind and sweet. Um, And that that country is wide open for missionaries. I would love to see somebody in Rwanda. Um, So those are probably my top picks right now.
2: So if you have any other questions about Africa, um, about the teamwork, and by the way, I think that's a um, ingenious, I think South Africa probably does the greatest um, work as a team um, out of all of our missionaries, out of many fields that I know of, um, and so they're doing, Lord's really bless them, and there was a lot of good advice there about working in a team. You know, you want to keep your distance, but you want to work together. I mean, there was a whole lot of good advice there, and I hope you paid attention to that. Teamwork sometimes in our mind is, all right, everybody go to one spot, and so he's the pastor, he's the assistant pastor, he's the song leader, he's the youth, you know. That's not what teamwork is. And uh, and I think there's not only just talking about it, but there's represents well. God's doing a wonderful thing. They work together. Um, there's a lot of churches, a lot of ministries, a lot of good things happening there. So... If you have any other questions towards Africa teamwork uh, towards Brother Mark, then we'll get to that in just a moment. We're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to go to Chase, and uh, then we will continue. So, all yours.
5: All right. Well, a couple of things to start off. Uh, first of all, how many people have not been on their internship yet? All right. Well, uh, what Mana and T Wayne or T Wayne and Mana said was very very good advice, and I think that y'all should. Uh, heed to that. Um, Now, I do have limited experience with language learning, but uh, I think that I've learned a lot so far just within the few months that I've been back in South Africa. Uh, But um, as people are texting me, I'm going to do not disturb. Uh, Before you get to the field, I just want to give you guys a couple of things. Uh, Number one is be sure that God wants you there. Uh, that's, that's a very, very big deal because whenever you go through culture shock, whenever all these bad things happen, uh, then you need to know why you're there. That way you don't just you know, quit and leave. Uh, so a couple of books to memorize before you get to the field, before you begin learning a new language is the LAMP book. Learn that, memorize it, go to chatGBT and ask it to summarize it for you. Uh, do it all. Uh, the second one is Cross-Cultural Servanthood as well as ministering cross-culturally. Those are my three books that I think that you should memorize prior to actually getting to the field. Um, And a couple of other things that I think helped me, uh, at least with my setup, I'll just go through this briefly just to, because I think it was very big help. I think it was uh, wise that Ashley and I did this together. Uh, But make a checklist of every single thing you want or need for your setup. I think the uh, this was a couple years ago, but the average home in America has 300,000 items. Um, and that's insane. Uh, and let's just say you take a third of that and you have to buy 100,000 items whenever you set up. Like you're gonna forget stuff all the time and you're gonna have to buy a lot of different things. But if you can make a list, a compilation of just everything that you can think of from a, a couch to floss, uh, everything that you need, Just do that, that way you don't have to go to the store 10 extra times because you forgot these things. Uh, That really did help us with our time in South Africa, and it allowed us to where, uh, with our first few weeks, we could be more effective with our setup. Um, It's going to be hard setting everything up on an exact budget uh, prior to getting to the field, but if you can make this compilation, especially whenever you go on your setup or your uh, survey trip, uh, then you can have your eye out whenever you go to the stores, thinking what these things look like. That was just a little bit of practical advice, but now down to the nitty-gritty. The beginning of language learning is what I really want to talk about. Um, Number one is listen to what the missionary, the lead missionary says. Uh, Listen, 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 listen. Uh, There's, I think, maybe it's just me, but in the States, I feel like there's uh, there's this rule where uh, there's power and money. And so whenever you become a missionary and you gain all this money, you feel like you're, you're somebody, and uh, that's really not the case. Uh, you feel like whenever you go to the field, you're like, man, I, I, I know everything that there is to know. I went to the Our Generation Training Center, bless God. I know, I know ministry uh, better than all the people who've been there for 50 solid years, um, and uh, that's right. <laughs> uh, preparation is great. I'm glad. Uh, but just remember that these lead missionaries have the experience. And uh, even in stuff like soccer, I mean, you see Busquets and Messi, and they're destroying all these young guys because they have the experience. Even though they might not have the youth that you've got, uh, these lead missionaries, uh, they've got the experience, and they're they're a lot wiser. And uh, I've had the privilege of working under three of the wisest men of God with some of the greatest experience that I know. Uh, and so... If you're <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but be a learner of every way ask the missionaries uh, questions, ask the locals questions uh, with that, that little um, I guess uh, mentality of having power or having money gives you the power sometimes we think of the nationals not having money and we see somebody who's been in ministry for 20 years but they're, they're local and we're like oh this guy doesn't know what he's doing or we almost feel like we're above those people. Uh, and uh, I've seen this happen over and over with different missionaries. But just remember that, uh, the, I mean, they're men of God as well, and you can learn from them. Uh, I've learned a lot from the men of God in South Africa, the pastors that are there. Uh, but make the country your home as well. Uh, if you continually think, oh, man, I've got three years, nine months, and 12 days till I go home, uh, you're not going to make it on the field very long. Because you're going to want to go home, right? Uh, and so, whenever you twist that and you make the mentality of the mission field be in your home, you look forward to going back there. Uh, Clark is, I mean, he is Afrikaans, of uh, which is one of the uh, the cultures over there. He speaks Afrikaans. Of uh, if it was his choice right now, he'd be wearing the short sh- khaki shorts, uh, the boots and the, the knee socks, high knee socks. And, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm not wrong. <laughs> but... Uh, South Africa is home to him. So whenever he's in the States, he longs to be there. Same for Addison, uh, the missionary kids, the missionaries. Uh, and it really does help. And whenever you make that country your home, uh, you'll be able to learn the language better. You'll be able to adapt to the culture. And the, the culture shock really will begin to fade away a lot easier because it's, it's where you want to be. Uh, and then I've got just some, some very practical advice um, with this, but whenever you begin to learn the language, set realistic goals. Uh, I grew up on the mission field. I grew up around people learning the language, so it was a lot easier for me. I knew what I was getting into, but my wife would come home day after day frustrated. She's like, man, I didn't memorize my 10 sentences. I'm like, you're trying to memorize 10 sentences in your first week, like, or your first day? Like, it's just... That really wasn't a very realistic goal. And so she'd come home very frustrated, and she knows that now. So learning three new words a day is like, to me, that's like a big win. I mean, sometimes I don't memorize any new words, and uh, that's okay as long as you continue practicing your language. Uh, But in order to be successful in your language learning, uh, consistency is key. Uh, I think of uh, finding Nemo. Uh, Dory, she she goes, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, 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 swimming. Just keep showing up is basically what I'm trying to say. Just keep going out and practicing. Uh, Just keep talking. Uh, Just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Culture shock is going to hit. And uh, for a lot of people, whenever culture shock hits, it's like you feel like you don't want to speak to anybody. And uh, I've seen this in Peru. Andrew Wilder and I were uh, friends in this, and we both were, like, in pooty moods sometimes, uh, going through culture shock, and we're just over there, and we don't want to talk to anybody. And David Gardner decided to just literally slap me on the head and say, what are you doing? And uh, at that moment, I was, I really was, I woke up, and I was like, man, why am I not talking? Uh, but uh, he he just reminded me, I just got to keep talking and just keep showing up in the consistency in that um also uh just force yourself to get out of your bubble um this one might be controversial uh but at least in south africa this is very big uh with the languages is your accent um if you're not working on your accent in south africa they told me if your accent is not good don't worry uh don't even bother learning the language and uh, i thought that was very hard but uh, it's very difficult to have conversations i mean Have you guys ever had a conversation with somebody who speaks English grammatically correct, but uh, it's kind of like going on... I I worked for DoorDash, and I was trying to go with um, uh, the services or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you're getting mad at the person because you can't understand what they're saying. It's like you hear the English words, but you don't know what they're saying. uh, And it's because of their accent. Uh, But uh, accent is very, very important, at least in South Africa. And I think the the way that you work on that is uh, phonetics. Uh, there's phonetic- phonetics classes that you can take, uh, learning the vowels, uh, just simple stuff like that. But really, really try on the accent. And you're not going to sound exactly like uh, the local, uh, but you can do a lot better than sounding like an American. Um, also be intentional about learning the language, especially in South Africa. There's a big uh, English population, there's an Afrikaans population, a Tulsa population, So it's very easy to stop uh, being intentional about learning Kosa and to just start speaking English, even along with my friends, especially in the city. And so, um, uh, people like my father and uh, my uncles—they remind me uh, very often, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta be speaking Kosa. You gotta be speaking and speaking uh, their language." So just be intentional being with the locals as much as possible who will not speak English to you. Um, attitude goes a long way. You're, you gotta, you got to check up on your attitude all the time. If you go into language learning and you have a bad attitude about it, man, I'm, i, I got to learn this language. Uh, you're not going to learn it very well. Uh, the, you're going to offend the locals, um, and ultimately, uh, they're going to stop correcting you. Um, You'll have a hard time making friends. That's going to make the whole mission field just not a really good place, not a place that you want to be. And that's not what we want. We want, we're we're in this for the long-term investment. So if we're going to stay there 40 years, uh, we can't do that unless we enjoy it. The only way you're going to enjoy it is to learn the culture. And uh, you can't do that without learning the language. Uh, But make it fun. Uh, My favorite thing that Case and Bloom taught me uh, whenever he was teaching on language learning, he's like, I get paid to go buy ice cream. Like, you know, he's like, I. his whole point was I, I just enjoy it. Uh, I'm enjoying learning the language. I get, as long as I'm practicing the language, I can do whatever I want. Uh, Jeremy Hall, my uncle, uh, every Monday he went and he hired a caddy. It was cheaper to do that than to hire a tutor. And he just spoke to the caddy and played golf for eight hours. Uh, and he got a better golf game, but he also, uh, you know, he learned, he learned a lot of language through it. Uh, you can do what you enjoy uh, as long as you practice and be intentional. But having that attitude really does uh, change your whole perspective of life. And uh, there's going to be times that you mess up in the language and the, and the culture, and you're going to make mistakes. Uh, but this is, this is my favorite thing to tell the guys in South Africa. Uh, I, I learned this from a TV show, uh, but it's be a goldfish. Uh, And the reason I say that, because a goldfish has a 30-second memory. So even if you mess up, even if you do something wrong, uh, you can just wipe that away and just keep going. Keep pushing forward. Um, If you mess up in the morning, if you're not intentional one day, uh, you can be intentional the next, or you can be intentional that afternoon. Don't let it ruin the rest of your your day. Uh, Don't get discouraged. Just push through. Uh, Get to the next step. Um, and then learn from your mistakes and then forget them. Forget whenever you mess up and just keep going. Uh, you'll get there eventually as long as you keep trying and you work hard. Um, and then listen to Mark Coffee.
4: That's, that's right. That's right. Ooh,
2: was that for a free lunch? Or? Yes. <laughs> All right, anybody have any questions? I realize that Way when he asked who hasn't taken their internship, there's like four people raise their hand. Like 80% of you have not taken your internship. Like so, I'm not sure if you were asleep during that part. Uh, but learning a language, um, that was excellent. That was great. Uh, thoughts. A lot of it is your attitude. And by the way, you know, um, life is about perception. That's how you see it. I mean, you can see it uh, bad, and negative, and difficult, and hard. All the days of the um, oh, has to say in Proverbs 15 all the days of the not the slubber, um, it the, the sloth, I don't remember that, uh, are hard, they're difficult. Proverbs 15, I think it's verse 15, to, verse 13, 15. Listen to this
5: all the days of the afflicted are evil, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast.
2: So your days are either hard or like a feast. What's a feast? Lots of food, friends, good music, awesome atmosphere, a lot of fun. And you choose if your day is going to be the days of the afflicted, like, oh, it's so hard. They're just, they're hard and they're difficult. Or you could choose the other side. And that merry heart, that's not something, well, God put it in there. That's one of those that comes from like the, the First Timothy uh, one, six where um, Paul said to Timothy, maybe 2 Timothy 1.6, that, um, that, that fire, that desire, that what God put in you, that call that God put in you, he said to stoke that fire, you know, to kindle that, to put in the wood in the fire. If the fire goes out, it's your fault, right? And so you have to um, you know, light that fire that God's placed in you. God may have called you to missions or to his service or you know, to marry that person, you're the one who has to work to make maintain it. If not, you say, well, it's just, and you've heard people, you know, um, we just fell out of love. Well, that's not on God. It's on you, right? Mm-hmm. The same with missions work and anything. And so it's your attitude to make it good or bad. Well, the same thing happens with light. The same thing happens with language. So if you're going to learn, it's because you have the right attitude. And we heard some excellent things uh, even prior that said, you know, learn to laugh at yourself. You know, you'll be okay with it. Learn to enjoy life. And so that's a wonderful. Anybody have any questions to Chase about language learning, about just arriving to the mission field, about the very first steps, some of the things that he spoke about? Anybody have a question? Comment? I have a question. Yes, ma'am.
5: That does. Uh, so the question is, how do you be intentional with learning Hosa? Whenever people speak English to you, uh, there's a guy in Soweto that continually speaks English to me, and uh, at first I was, I, I just make it a joke and I say, "Oh no, you can't speak English to me. Uh, uh, I, I I don't speak, I don't speak English. I don't know English," and the, they get the hint, uh, but he 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 forgets all the time, and uh, I really like the Xhosa culture is very direct uh, in a lot of ways. And so I'm just as direct and blunt as I can be. And it's a lot harder with friends like Amin and uh, P.K. and Romza, um, which are some of the guys there. But uh, with Amin, I just just speak English with him, but I don't spend my language learning with him. Uh, I do that afterwards. But P.K. and Romza are in the ministry, and so I just tell them, and remind them fifty, hundred times. And uh, uh, sometimes it's like we could have a thirty uh, or a five-minute conversation, uh, but uh, sometimes we forget, and we're like, "Hey, do you want?" And then the other person's like, "Oh, what are you doing?" And then it's almost like a game to see who can uh, who can remind the other person to speak the language. And so, nothing very uh, very diff- I guess difficult about it. you just have to force yourself to do that um yeah that's it just force yourself
2: anybody else that's a good question because people will all you know that they go back to the default like oh you're having a hard time speaking so i'll say it in english and you're trying to learn their language right and so i think that's um you know make a joke i think chase does very chase has a light personality um and that's a good thing, you know, to make something a little bit funny into a joke. Do that, you know, whatever you have to do. But you do, um, a man who's going to get much done, a lady, a person who's going to get much done is a person who doesn't easily get distracted. And we live in a world that, you know, notifications always popping up. You feel like something's vibrating in your pocket. You know, you're like you look at it and, and my foot. Nobody even texted me, but I felt it, you know, like you look this phantom, whatever they call it, you know, phantom texting or whatever But there's all these distractions Well, someone that's gonna get something done like ignores the distraction and you have to ignore distractions They're gonna come up like crazy, right? Um, The rest of your life Everything is going to try to take priority for you in your life And you have to say nope not gonna do that. It doesn't mean it's bad. A lot of things that, that are distractions are not bad things. I mean, there is bad things, but they're, they're not necessarily bad. They could be good, but they're not the best. If you're going to learn the language, you've got to push that to the side. Or you're going to, this is my goal that God has for me. Push that thing to the side. And so do that. Anybody else have a question? Very good question. Anybody else? Go ahead, buddy. Uh, what would be
0: some signs to know that you are where God has called you to be as far as
5: the mission? I say this uh, because I quote people. Uh, people have told me this my whole life, uh, but I tell this to Cherry, I tell this to Juan. All my friends know this, but there's three things to find out uh, what God wants you to do or what God's calling is. And um, uh, they, they could quote it just probably better than I could, but it's written word, inward urge, and outward circumstance. Uh, written word is what does the Bible say about it? Um, as long as what you uh, are doing is in line with what God's will is, or, or what God's word says, uh, then that checks that box. Uh, the second thing is uh, inward urge. Uh, what, what has God giving you a desire to do? Um, whenever I say that, oh, God wants me to uh, go and kill, kill my best friend. It's like, well, I doubt that. That's not really, that is in line with the word, word of God, right? Um, so that's not God's will. And the third thing uh, so, what does what God give you a desire? What does the Bible say? And uh, what are you able to do? Oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly around the country with a jetpack and preach the gospel with a, a, a siren. You know, it's like, that's not an opportunity. Uh, I want to be a missionary in North Korea. It's like, well, you're not going to be able to get in North Korea. Uh, so, maybe that's not what God wants you to do. Um, so, I'd say check those three things off. If those three things are there, and you have a piece about it uh then uh i'd say go for it and uh i'm i'm not going to tell you which missionary told me this but a missionary said um he's like i'm going to try this and if uh we'll find out if it's god's will or not he's like i'm going to start another church but uh i guess we'll we'll find out if uh, if god's will is in it mm-hmm. so he just does it and sees i don't know if that's good advice but <laughs> yeah Go with the first thing. Um, allow me to uh,
2: repeat a, a verse that I s- said I kind of uh, massacred it on my explanation. But Second Timothy one six it says, uh, to stir up the gift. Um, let me read it exactly. Wherefore I put thee in it's that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hand. So Paul said, um, I've recognized what God's put in you. Remember, he, this is Acts chapter 16, from Acts 16, where Paul goes to the church and he sees Timothy, he's this young man, probably already, you know, because of his mother and his grandmother, already a believer. And so Timothy says it was obvious God was doing it. He was, had a good report, good testimony. So obviously God had already put something in it. Now Paul recognizes, he puts his hand upon him, right? And, uh, but Paul said this, although God's the one who called you, although I and the church are the ones who recognize it, you have to stir it up. So you arrive to, let's say, um, you know, uh, God leads you to Bolivia. And to be quite honest, as well as your marriage, as well as Bolivia, as well as absolutely anything, that fire can dwindle down. It can go away. And sometimes we get, um, I don't know, more zealous about something because you know, we're studying, you know, the country and like we're, we're presenting to churches and like Bolivia needs Jesus. There's in Cochabamba, there's, you know, a million people. There's only six churches, you know, whatever it is. And so you get this burden for it. Well, you get to Bolivia and then all of a sudden it kind of dies down. You're like, you know, it's just normal life. I mean, outside of Spanish and different food, you know, and all of a sudden that goes away. If you don't stir it up by God, please give me a burden for these people that need you. God, please, and walking around seeing this and, you know, reading, studying more of the, the history of it, talking more to the people. If you don't stir it up, it goes down. And Paul said, God called you. I recognized it. But it's your job to keep that fire fueled. When I was younger, we had a wood stove in our house, lived in a, a trailer, and there's a wood stove in there. And in that, um, that stove, that wooden stove, we had to add fire. So I grew up in the Midwest in Missouri, and uh, winter got really cold. Lots of snow. And uh, so if you didn't add wood, everybody had their responsibilities. And every two hours, you had to add wood to the fire. And if you, someone forgot to add wood to the fire, by morning time, by 7 a.m., when everybody's up, by 7 a.m., somebody is ticked off at the dude who forgot their, their responsibility. And everybody knew it's cold in here, and you're the moron who forgot. You know, everybody's upset. And like, uh, like oh, man. But it got cold, obviously, because you didn't have the fire. The same thing in your marriage. The same thing in your ministry. The same thing with language. absolutely anything. If you let that fire go down, that's not on God. God, I just don't have a burden anymore. I was like, I put that in there. If you don't stir that baby up by, by the reading or by the, the seeing, by that my eye affects my heart, if you don't stir it up, then that's not on God. And so keep that fire stoked in, in any area, uh, but especially when you get the mission field. Because the temptation can be uh, that I don't leave my house, I just do my thing, I pay my bills and I do this. Like You're not there just to live, we're there to minister, which is fancy word for serve. And so as you go out there, you witness to more people, you get more of a burden. As you see that giant statue there in Cochabamba on the hill, and you look and you stand up there and you pray, you're like, oh, man, look at the city all around these valleys. They need Jesus. You get more of a burden. And as you get more of a burden, it seems like God's burdening you. It works both ways. And, so, and, and, and as it is, then you, you preach with more fire. You, you witness with more zeal. You live with more passion. Things begin to happen because you're stirring that up. And so I'd say, yeah, all of us, we want you want to find where God has you. And, and there could be some open doors. Sometimes it's not so um, spiritual as we want to make it. Like, you know, I didn't see any vision. I didn't see it. Like, it could be that Acts chapter number 15, I think it is, where he goes over, the man of Macedonia, remember that? He goes over two different times, the door was closed. Remember, he goes over and the Lord, the, the spirit forbade him. What does that even mean? Mm. The spirit forbade him. He tried to go over here. The spirit forbade him. And then finally, he has this vision. Of the man of Macedonia he says, come on over and help us. And, and he said, he assuredly gathered. What does that mean? Like, I reckon he wants me to go over there. You know, like, that's what it meant. Like that, That's all. So what does it mean that the spirit forbade him? Maybe he didn't have the paperwork to get in. We don't know. Maybe he didn't have the funds to get in. Maybe, they, maybe the border was closed that day. Maybe there are people on the other side saying, you come over here before and mocked him and threw stone. We have no idea. But the Lord closed the doors. But we do know that he was trying because he, he tried and he didn't just give up. He tried another place. He didn't just give up. And they said, Lord, you got to show me something. And all of a sudden he has this vision, the man of Macedonia. And I'm like, dude, if I have a vision, you better believe I'm going there. I mean, that's just going to be pretty clear, right? We, like, But however God shows us, and so I think sometimes we over – like. You know, I didn't, you know, see the the angel Moroni didn't come to me that night. You You know, I didn't see anything crazy, you know. And so, like, well, don't worry about it. God opened the door. Like, was it an accident? Was it a coincidence that you went to Bolivia? Absolutely not. Like, you might have been thinking, well, I could go to Mexico. I could go to Bolivia. I could go to Argentina. You know, God led you there. You got there. Like, now all that you saw there, was that an accident? Absolutely not. God is forming you down to what he's showing you. And for all of us, God uses the circumstances in our life, right? And so let God open and close doors. Let, let God show you. And I think it's marvelous what Chase said, you know, I mean, is it in line with the word? Well, if we're in ministry, most of it's in line with the word, right? But even is God opening, closing those doors? Is he giving you that, you know, um, that, that, that desire to go over there? Then good. By all means, do it. I stoke that fire. Good question. Anybody else? I answered longer than Chase, my apologies. No, Anybody okay. else? Question for Chase? Anybody else? We're gonna have five, four, three, two. Chase, do you want to say anything else before you hand off to your Uncle Mark?
5: Listen to Mark Coffee. Yes,
2: There's Is that said. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this is kind of
3: a more personal question, but you were a missionary kid in South Africa for a, for a little bit. Um, when you went back to what things did you have to really be like okay i know i've experienced the culture before did like what things did you do to where you were just learning and like did in some ways it you being a missionary kid help you in other ways to did like stop you from
5: serving as, well as one kid sure that's a good question especially in south africa the question is how uh, how did you go into uh, i guess the two years of language uh, school whenever you grew up as a missionary kid and you feel like you know the line lang- or the culture uh, in in South Africa, uh, again, I, I'll I'll emphasize this: you you can't know the c- culture completely unless you know the language, uh, because uh, you're not going to understand the jokes. You're not going to understand why they speak the way they speak and stuff. I didn't know the language growing up, uh, so now that I'm going into the closer culture, uh, I'm trying to get more deep into it, and I still don't. Like I'm not fluent in language. I I'm barely speaking. I'm a two year old. If I'm I'm worse than a two year old, right? T Wayne. Um so I'm I'm just trying to go into this with uh the the teachable spirit, uh realizing that I don't know uh I don't know it. Uh and so I know that whenever I came back to the, the States, I was like, Man, I know the mission field, I know uh ministry, I know how to do these things, I know how to go track drop, I know how to go witness, I know how to I know how to start a church basically because I helped my uh parents do it and I saw them do it. Uh but if I go in with that attitude, it's uh an attitude of arrogance, and that's that's not gonna get me anywhere so my my goal is to continue to be teachable uh to listen even whenever um i'm stubborn um but with with South Africa, it's very different because there's there's eleven different cultures there in our our city there's three different cultures and so I'm just trying to learn the closer culture. I feel like I know the English culture a lot better uh, just because that's what I grew up in. And so um uh just try to be teachable. Yeah, do you feel like it's sometimes okay to draw on that past experience or would you just like Sure, absolutely. Um I mean, I know I know a lot of the English culture, so I know when to say words or what's funny. Uh I came to the States thinking I, I was funny. Um, because people in South Africa always laughed at me. Uh, But I I realized quickly it's because the humor there is a lot different than here. Uh, So I went back and now people are laughing at me again. Uh, I say the jokes in the States and Juan's like, what are you doing? I was like, "Uh, that was supposed to be funny. Uh, That's why I get up on stage on Thursday nights and I give an update and I thought I was saying a joke and everybody's just like. My wife is like, (laughs) <laughs> like man, I thought that was funny, uh, but like stuff like that, I know I know humor and stuff. Uh, so it's okay to use what you your experience, uh, but just don't go in thinking you know everything.
2: You know the open doors could be open because God put them there, right? Um, sometimes a missionary they'll say, "I've known." Uh, kids who grew up in different places like I'm not going there just because that would be what everybody thinks I'm supposed to do well remember you're serving God you're not serving everybody else right so you don't don't worry about that God has given you one up maybe by learning the culture by the language by knowing how things work so God's already equipped you to one you know be open if God wants you know something else but by all means you know like if God's opening the door uh, I know of missionaries who said I'm going to this part in the Middle East. I'm like, okay, and why do you believe God's leading you there? because like, nobody can get in. I'm like, that's a stupid reason. <laughs> what do we, you know, like, um, you know, it, it, God can't use dead missionaries. You know I'm saying, like, you know, I want to be a martyr. Like, well, jump off a bridge, dude. Like, you know, <laughs> that's not the smartest thing. So, if God opens the door, by all means, um, but don't try to just because nobody can. I want to be adventurous. I want to be. You know, let's follow the Lord, not,
5: you know, silly things. Um, but can, I, can I say one more thing? Uh, this is just for language in general. It's not for that question. Uh, but be, be very patient with your spouse if you're married, um, uh, especially with language learning. I'm a naturally competitive guy, and uh, uh, I, like, growing up, I was like, yeah, me and my wife are going to be so competitive. That way we can push each other to better limits. Um but uh for the the losing partner, it's gonna be a lot more discouraging than you think. At least for me, that's my personality is to push, push, push. Um, but just be patient with your spouse. Um for me it's I, I had six years of experience. So I tell my wife all the time she's a lot uh further than I was at seven weeks. Uh but uh she's doing great. But just remember to be patient with your spouse. Uh, be loving, and um, uh, listen to Mark Coffee.
4: <laughs> I will say this as far as uh, for Chase. Uh, Chase was really good as far as in the culture, uh, or just South African culture, which is a blended culture, as far as the, the general culture there, as far as with the whites getting along with the blacks and the blacks getting along with the and And the, we also have the Indians as well. Uh, small small portion there, but um, Chase did great as far as just jumping in and being friendly. You can get by and make a lot of friends just by being outgoing and and being friendly and being willing to laugh at yourself and serving, no matter who they are. And Chase did a great job of that. And the uh, one thing as far as there was a huge spiritual difference from the time he left South Africa to the time he came back, and his friends noticed that immediately. Now he was a there was a great you know Chase was in a in a good trajectory, but when he came back, uh, his same friends who were his same age, you know there was some there was a spiritual difference in Chase's life, especially getting married, uh, just a different level. So so he's he's had I've I've seen as far as the interaction between his friends and him, and it's neat to see how he's encouraging them and how he's growing them and he's helping challenge them in, in in the same way because they, they feel like they're his peer yet that he's he's growing in, in different levels spiritually and I think that's challenged them in a good way
2: Anybody else? Brother really Mark? The Chase? Anything that was spoken about earlier? Noah? Any questions for T. Wayne Manna.
0: Well, they know the Bible, so how do you know? Like, Honestly, versus going to other churches and be like, hey, I should preach on this or that, so how do you kind of
3: know about those types of things? Yeah, okay, he's asked, um, how do you know what to preach on different cultures and contexts on deputation? Yeah, um, every church is going to be different, a little bit different. I think having a little bit of understanding of what the church is like going into it, you're going to have several messages in your um, repertoire to just kind of pull from. Uh, that you, I think, messages that you know that, that preach well. I don't. I think uh, one one person that challenged me was Pastor Steve Hall. He came. I preached a message at his church, and he came to me, and he was the first person that the Pastor asked me that. He said, uh, "How many times have you preached this message?" And um, I've never been asked that before. And that that night, it was like it's like my third time preaching that message. So I told him three times. He's like, "Well, most missionaries, um, it's like their fiftieth time preaching the same message." He's like, "I am convinced that if you think this message." is the message that you need to preach in every church in America, then you should preach it. Um, but if it's not a message that you're convinced that every church needs to hear, then he said you need to preach a different message. Like You need to be, like get different messages to preach. Uh, because sometimes it can just become mundane, and it becomes more of a presentation than, than preaching. And your presentation, I mean, that could be the same. But when you're handling God's word, you want to be sincere with it. You, know, you, want to be, um, you don't want to handle it wrongly. And so sometimes when you get in a mundane, you just preach, 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 the same thing. But I think that's a good challenge. It challenged me. It really woke me up. And so I had made me rethink, you know, I don't want to preach this message 10, 15, 20 times if it's not from sincerity. Um, but then it comes back to a little bit of understanding the church. So if a church is super missions-minded, like I'm talking, if you can see, like if, you, if you walk in their, their foyer and they've got all their missionaries on the wall and they've got how much money they give the Faith Promise, you know what I'm saying? And, like, the church knows missions really, really heavily to just try to beat them over the head with a baseball bat about missions is it's just kind of like, you know, what's going on? Because they've heard missions, they know missions, they're cultured in missions, and so a 19- or 20-year-old guy coming in being like, you need to get the faith promise, just is not going to be super profitable. Does that make sense? It's not going to like really stir them. So uh, sometimes I try to understand the I talk to the pastor before the church, before church starts, and just find out where they're at missions-wise. And if, uh, it's a, if it's a heavily giving missions church and um, they know missions really well, than just to just beat them over the head and be like, you need to give, 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 you know, it's not going to do a ton. Does that make sense? I mean, it'll profit some if it's the Bible, but I'm saying if you want to, maybe, maybe a, a message that God's working in your heart would just go, it would go just as far. I preached messages of, um, okay, so this past Sunday, um, two Sundays ago, we were at a church that supported us, that has been supporting us since the beginning of, de- of our deputation down noon in Noonan, Georgia. And um, it was a Missions Emphasis Sunday, and they, you know, they wanted to come on come in and they had two missionaries in, me and another family, our family and another, uh, my wife and I and then another family. And so mission Sunday and I started praying, asking God, like, God, what do you want me to preach? You know, what do you preaching is gonna be missions but I couldn't get past a certain passage. Like I just couldn't get over it. And the Lord just wouldn't let me leave. And so I just started meditating on that passage and looking at the passage, created a message for that passage. And then it didn't really have a ton to do with missions. It had a lot to do with, you know, what God has done in our hearts and our lives, with our family, in the context in which we lived. And I preached it. And um, it didn't have a ton. Like, I mentioned missions at the end, but I had a better response from that message than almost any other message I've preached. Because what And and then the pastor just kind of got up, and he's like, church, I know this wasn't a huge missions message, but he obeyed the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And, like, we needed this. And so many people in their church were going through something similar. And the altars were full that Sunday. And it had nothing to do with me. But it just had God's word. And so it, it ministered to the church. Does that make sense? More than just, like, beating them over the head with a baseball bat, saying, missions, missions, missions. I know they love missions. Like, I've been one of their missionaries for, you know, two years. So I understand their hearts set in missions. But if God was leading me in this direction, just obey the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And preach something that is personal to you. And um, I had text messages after from people from the church because it ministered to them. Does that make sense? It wasn't me. It was the God's Word. And so we have to understand that if we hide behind God's Word, that's where the power is going to be. It has nothing to do with you. Nothing you can say. And your outline is trash. Everything's your, your illustrations – they don't matter. They just don't matter. But if you can get them to the word of God, that's where the, that's where the power's at. It's always going to be in the Bible. And so if you can get them to the Bible and obeying what God wants you to preach, um, then do that. I think most of the time you should preach missions um, or something that has to do with missions because you're coming in, the pastor's brought you in to preach missions. Um, sometimes, but sometimes, you know, it doesn't have to be missions. That's okay. And so understanding the context of the church, I don't think I'm the great, greatest one to answer this question. Probably Brother Jeff or, or Mark can answer this a lot better than I could. But on deputation, in that context, um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just like you'll have, you have messages you want to preach, and if God's leading you a certain direction, maybe there's something you're dealing with that week, just obey the Lord. You know, obey, obey the Lord and preach the Bible. And if you can preach the Bible, um, yeah, you'll be a lot better for it, if that makes any sense. I don't know if that helps at all. Does that help at all? Um, I'm trying to think of something else to say, but I think I think Brother Mark or Brother Jeff um, would do much better answering that question. So I'm going to pass it to them. Uh,
2: Mark Chase.
5: Uh, I'll just say one thing as I pass this to Uncle Mark. Um, I've had many uh, pastors, uh, there's uh, some pastors that told me they're like, we invite missionaries because we do want missions to be preached, Uh, and so you don't have to do it, like he said, hitting them over the head, Uh, but uh, the missionary, uh, uh, there's a reason they they have you there, and uh, there's uh there was this one pastor that told me he was like, I've invited six pa- uh missionaries in the past three months and none of them have preached missions. It's like I just want I want missions to be preached. Uh so uh having that knowledge, uh just make sure to preach getting the gospel out to the world. Um that's it.
4: You know, a lot of times as as you guys are inexperienced going into churches, um Preaching the same messages, you can learn how to be better preachers as you go when it comes to going into churches. You know, sometimes I I say, I go into mission conferences and people say missionaries, they don't know how to preach. I mean, that's kind of a common thing. When we were in Bible college, missionaries don't know how to preach. You know, there's I I don't disagree with what Noah says because there's a lot of good things there. But as far as young preachers, uh, sticking with some of the same messages, you can hone in and, and try to make those messages better, and be and learn how to become a better preacher uh, by uh, preaching uh, the same messages. Um, you know, and I believe you can. You know what Chase mentioned the idea of having. You know, when you come in, when I go into churches, there's usually a mission emphasis, and there's a good there's a good chance that they haven't. The majority church I go to, there's not a, been a huge mission emphasis, and I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like no, there was, I like preaching different things, but for me, it's like all roads lead to missions. <laughs> so if I'm leading, if I'm preaching on anything, it still leads to world evangelism, uh, because the need of the world. No matter what you're going through, as we think about the need of the world, uh, that's uh, any struggles we have. If you can just imagine these cities and these towns that don't have Bible preaching churches to where you can be challenged in these areas of, of marriage and and faith and love. And, I mean, uh, you know, it, it, so everything can point back to missions no matter what you preach. Uh, but I would say as far as for young guys, get, get I mean, get a message and uh, preach it and keep preaching it over again until you learn how to preach it well. Uh, when we preach a message so somebody, it's so bad that, you preach a, you can preach a message a lot of times and you still stink at preaching something's wrong because it's like you should learn from your mistake you made last time uh and a lot of times we don't learn from our mistakes now you can you know you know you get better at preaching by by preaching a lot and even preaching better, different messages do do help you become a better preacher but uh, you've got to evaluate how you preach before. You've got to evaluate your stories. You've got to evaluate, you know, how you, did you connect with people? You've got to evaluate a lot of those things. Um, so as young preachers, it's a little, you know, I, I look at Noah. Noah's been preaching for a long time. So the more, the longer you get more experience, you can, you know, you, you have a lot more freedom to, to go in these other directions. But work on getting to be a good preacher, Uh, A good communicator Uh, And you know I still don't I still feel short that I'm not the best preacher In the world Uh, But I'm hoping I'm better than I was five years ago Or that I was better 20 years ago I don't know if I was But I don't know if I am But I do work in that That makes sense
2: sensitive to the spirit doesn't necessarily mean when I get up on the platform, God, what do you want me to preach? If <laughs> you don't know by then, you, know, you got bigger issues. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, be sensitive, but way before time, praying that God would help you. Is, when you get up there, man on a mission, you
4: go, right? Um, I did have probably f- six messages, but then, you know, it's, it's like Noah says, when you're, a lot of times i can be in my morning devotions and something hits me. And and I and that thought stays with me through the whole week. So I, d- I definitely think there's a balance on both sides. But I use I probably had six messages that I preached, and probably three that I preached a lot, and probably one I preached a whole lot. So just to say, you know, if,
2: you, if um, we have to be careful how we preach, if we come across, across conceited, arrogant, cocky, um, it doesn't matter what you say; it's not received well, right? You're you're going there to be a blessing to them. You know, God is sending. You there for a specific reason. So why? Like, uh, uh, and Just as other things, if you go to be a blessing, you will probably receive a blessing. Uh, in other words, um, you say, well, I'm here for support. Not necessarily. God might have you in a church to encourage a pastor that you never get support from or there might be something in that church, people that need, you know, uh, something fresh, something good, you know, that the Lord has you there for. So realize it's not all about money. Your goal is not money. Your goal is God. He's going to give you the support. He already has your support out there, right? And so um, be a blessing to the people. And as you are a blessing to them, you know, talk to them about their pastor, about the blessings they have, the opportunities they have. And and as you do, Lord, will open other doors. And, and good. ahead. Yeah.
3: Um, just to let you know, a heart like. A pastor's heart. I was, um, some things you learn, and Nate would be totally fine. I've talked to Nate about this. I'm sharing it with, we've talked about this before, but as, from observation, being the younger brother, I was not even in missions, but Nate was. I think he was at the training center, maybe starting deputation. He was preaching at Southside, and um, it was kind of in a season where, maybe Nate was on deputation. I can't remember the exact time, but we both learned a valuable lesson through this. It's was because my dad kind of took Nate aside, and everybody knows Nate's preaching is very passionate. And it can be very aggressive. And Nate will say that to himself. Like he's a very aggressive preacher, very in your face. Um, what are you doing with your life? You know, you should be in the mission field. Very aggressive. And that's and that's part of Nate's style and it works. And God used God's used Nate in great ways to do that. And everybody has if you've heard him preach, you know what I'm talking about. And sometimes like young men like love that. It's like, yeah, rip my face off. You know, this is great. <laughs> you know. And you know, for, for our young our age is fine, but if it's like a faithful layman who's been serving fifty years. You know what I'm saying? And he's just ripping his face. It doesn't. And so one of the things, like, Nate, that, my dad pulled us in. I was in there, and Nate, Josh might have been there too. I don't know, Turner, a couple guys, and he's like, Nate, please don't hurt my people. And he meant that with sincerity. Don't hurt my people. Because here's the thing. These pastors, they shepherd these people week in and week out, and they love these people. And they, they have a heart for them. They know what they go through and they, day in, day out. They know that this person just rolled in because they're working, you know, 70 hours this week, and they just kind of pulled in on a Wednesday night. And if you stand up as an arrogant 21-year-old and rip their face off for not going to the mission field, I mean, that's going to not only hurt the person, it's going to hurt the pastor because he's the, he's the under-shepherd, right? And so the heart of a pastor is for their flock before it is for you. And you've come in as a guest speaker, just don't hurt the congregation. Does that make sense? Just don't hurt them. Don't rip them. They're just, they're just they're trying to serve the Lord and love people and be faithful to tithe and give faith promise. And yeah, challenge them with missions, but just don't hurt the people. Don't hurt the pastor's people. He's gonna, It's going to make him really upset. It's going to leave a sour taste in his mouth. And uh, that was just one, one thing that I learned. And I'm not saying Nate hurt the people of Southside. He loves people of Southside. But it, I don't think, he, he preached a lot better that, that night, you know, because it was a little bit softer, a little bit more compassionate. Um, because that's the heart of a the pastor. They don't want you to hurt them, you know, their they're flock. So, I don't know if that helps at all, but let hey, me go, Jeff.
2: Anybody else? Anybody else? Um you know, you, uh, as was mentioned by several people, you're going to have, you know, three, four, five, six messages. Um, biggest thing is, is, it's not necessarily, it's definitely not wrong to preach the same thing. Uh, You know, read the book of Acts. How many times did Paul give his testimony over and over? You know, he's before King Agrippa. He's like every, everywhere he goes, he preached the same thing. And as you're reading, you're like, dude, I already read this. You know, like, you know, why do you keep saying the same? It's not wrong to preach the same thing. D.L. Moody preached a they say over probably a million souls throughout North America and uh, Europe, probably a, a million souls accepted Christ through the preaching of D.L. Moody, and he preached many times the same thing over and over. And his in one of his biographies, has said, "If it's good enough to preach once, it's good enough to preach again." Like I mean, so the the problem is not preaching the same thing. The problem is you becoming cold as you preach it and mechanical, just like, I'm saying what it says on the, my outline, like, don't do that, if you can't say it from your heart, then don't, then preach something else, you know, like, we preach out of a, um, a good message is an overflow of a private walk with God, so live for God, and it, it'll, it'll come out, it, it'll be the right way, and of course, you study, and, and everything, but uh, God will use it, so great question, anybody else, we got two minutes, so any last question, any last comments, anybody? Five, four, three, two. Okay, um, we're going to close out in uh, in prayer. I'm going to ask Luke to close this out in prayer. And uh, Luke, if you want to tell him about your wedding tomorrow, time, and if anybody's invited.